Great news, everyone. I know some of you have been worried about the effectively open southern border across which millions and millions of foreign nationals are pouring every single day. But according to Joe Biden's Secretary of Homeland Security, the total number of border encounters is actually down by a lot over the past couple of days. Over the past two days, the United States Border Patrol has experienced a 50% drop in the number of encounters versus what we were experiencing earlier in the week before Title 42 ended at midnight on Thursday. It is still early. We are in day three. But, you know, we've been planning for this transition for months and months, and we've been executing on our plan, and we will continue to do so. So it's too early to say whether the surge has peaked. It is, it is too early, but the numbers that we have experienced over the past two days are markedly down over what they were prior to the end of Title 42. Great news, right? Except you'll notice he doesn't actually give any hard migrant numbers here. It's only percentages. So if border crossings were stable, and now they're down by half, that's great news. But if the border crossings are up, up by, let's say, a factor of three or more, then a reduction of 50% is actually still pretty bad news. So what's the number? What are the numbers, 5,000? So we have seen, I think, approximately 6,300 uh, on Friday and about 4,200 yesterday uh, by the United States Border Patrol. And we saw over 10,000 before the end of Title 42 earlier uh, last week. And there it is. What did he say, 6,200? I remember not so long ago, I was interviewing a member of Congress during an earlier border crisis, and the number was in the 2,000s. Maybe it was approaching 3,000 per day. At that time, an unthinkable number. Now the administration is celebrating because the numbers are down to 6,000. Double, at least double, that earlier unthinkable high. And this is how the left wins. The left wins by flooding the culture with madness, not just on immigration, on drugs, on crime, on disorder. The left wins by sending marauding gangs into the streets to burn and pillage and kill people for eight months during the BLM riots. And then when they pull back just a little bit on the chaos, they celebrate a return to normal. But it isn't normal. It's a new normal. A new normal that always, consistently, perpetually seems to benefit the left. And then, before you've had time to adjust, the left shifts the culture again. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to The Michael Knowles Show. This episode is brought to you by Good Ranchers. Get great meat at a secure price and an extra $30 off with my code Knowles. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use my code Knowles today. We've got a really important announcement coming up from the President of the United States. Uh, Joe Biden, speaking at Howard University, explains the biggest threat facing America. We will get to that in just a second. First, though, speaking of this migration crisis, some really sad news. We're all joking about these numbers. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Wow, 3,000 illegals a day are coming over. Wow, no, it's 6,000. Wow, it's 10,000. Oh, golly, could this get any worse? Wow, crazy, right? But those numbers, those statistics have real humans behind them, and there are really tragic stories behind them. So here we have it. A minor has died in custody, in Biden's custody, amid the migrant surge. 
This is a 17-year-old kid named Angel Eduardo Maradiaga Espinosa. We don't know exactly how or why he died, but he died in Joe Biden's custody. Uh, this according to the Honduras Minister of Foreign Affairs. The U.S. may or may not conduct an investigation. I hope they do, but you don't really need an investigation to understand what's happening here. If the U.S. did not have a policy of encouraging foreign nationals to flood across the border, then this person would not have died in U.S. custody because this person would not have been permitted into the U.S., would not have been encouraged to come into the U.S. in the first place. Whenever something like this would happen on Trump's watch, of course, it would be headline news, international news, Trump is killing migrants. Because it's happening on Biden's watch here, they're going to brush this story under the rug. You're probably only going to hear about it on this show, maybe a few other conservative shows. And it's not just Biden's fault, but it, but it is Biden's fault. It's Biden's fault and the fault of other people. It's not everybody's fault. You're going to try to hear, or you're going to hear people rather try to say that, well, it's really everyone totally shares the responsibility. No, it's not Trump's fault. It's not the immigration hardliners fault. It's not the conservatives fault. It is the liberals fault here because the liberals are encouraging this system. And they're encouraging the system cynically because they think it's going to get them more votes. And the squishy Republicans think it's going to get them cheaper labor. And so that's why they encourage the system. But the system has real human beings behind it. And when you read this story, if you're human, if you have a beating heart, you're not going to say, well, haha, it serves those guys right for coming across the border. And you're not going to say, well, it's the fault of this one politician or these two politicians. You're going to say, this is a tragedy that was prevent preventable if we just enforced the law like we are supposed to do. But because politicians, including and especially Joe Biden, disregard the law, and they think, well, I'm going to cut a little moral corner here. I'm going to ignore the law, and it's going to give me a political benefit. When we do things that are immoral, when we, when we do things that are clearly wrong, there are all sorts of effects of that in the real world that we can't really plan for, such as a 17-year-old kid dying in custody. Very sad story. I wish it would impel liberal politicians to knock it off and to enforce the law, but it probably will not. Meanwhile, while you've got migrants dying in Biden's custody, the administration is focused on the really important questions, not the immigration law, not what to do with the migrants coming to the border. No, no. The question is, do we or do we not affirm the fake pronouns of the transgender illegal immigrants. And on that question, the Supreme Court says we do. And the Supreme Court doesn't just say this in a 5-4 decision. You know, maybe it's just the liberals plus John Roberts. No, this was a unanimous decision of the court. They issued this decision on Thursday, uh, overruling a lower court's decision against Leon Santos Zacaria, who's a Guatemalan, and trans-identifying man who goes by Estrella, uh, Santos Zacaria, wants to stay in the U.S. because he says he would be persecuted in Guatemala for thinking that he is a woman. And the court has decided to affirm his fake pronouns. So the, the court says the government's got to call this guy she. And that's the whole court affirmed this. Even the, the conservatives issued a concurring, concurring opinion with, with the libs. And of course, this is the case. We are living in a post-Bostock, post-Harris funeral homes world. Those were two cases 
on which the Supreme Court said, we embrace transgenderism. And so even the conservative judges are looking at this and they're saying, okay, well, if the court has said that this is now the official policy, this is how we've got to interpret civil rights law. We have to affirm transgenderism. And if there are now all sorts of laws passed in the United States to affirm transgenderism, then you've got to affirm it for everybody. The, the court is just following transgenderism to its logical conclusion. It cannot be the case that transgenderism is true for Americans, but not true for Guatemalans. It can't be that American men can secretly be women, but Guatemalan men can, cannot secretly be women. This is why trying to create this fine dividing line at age 18 or 16 or 20 or wherever they want to draw the line where they say, okay, at age 18, suddenly men can become women. Before 18, they can't become women. It's child abuse. But at age 18, they can become women and we have to let the men into the women's bathroom. It's never going to make any sense. It's just as silly as saying that the southern border, the Rio Grande is the dividing line between where a man can become a woman and a man can't become a woman. If you want to knock off all this nonsense, if you think it's silly that we're referring to an illegal alien dude as a she, as Estrella, then you've got to rip out the ideology of transgenderism root and branch everywhere. As long as we allow this epistemological and anthropological poison to take hold anywhere in our culture, then it's got to be true for everybody. Everybody, even including the Guatemalans. Now, in such a chaotic culture, you probably want some tangible value. You want a good, strong place to keep your wealth. That's why you got to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. President Trump recently issued a warning from his Mar-a-Lago home, quote, our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard, which will be our greatest defeat, frankly, in 200 years. There are three reasons the central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar, inflation, deficit spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is there's one asset that has withstood famine, wars, and political and economic upheaval dating back to biblical times, gold. You can own gold in a tax-sheltered retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That's right. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k, maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. The best part is you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898 for your free info kit. They will hold your hand through the entire process. You think about this. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Protect your savings with gold today. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. That is Knowles to 989898. Speaking of stomping out woke ideology, this was a headline I wasn't totally expecting today, but I really, really love it. It's probably my whole favorite story of the day. Pope Francis just destroyed so-called dog moms with facts and logic. Pope Francis was appearing at an event with Giorgia Maloney, who's the prime minister of Italy. And uh, so Pope Francis came out and he said, I believe that the theme of the birth rate is central for Europe. I would like to give only two snapshots that happened here in, uh, at the Vatican, St. Peter's Square. Two weeks ago, my secretary was in the square and a mother came up with, a, with her baby in a pushcart. He is a priest. He approached to, to uh, bless the child and it was a little puppy. Fifteen days ago at the Wednesday audience, 
I was saying goodbye to people. I arrived at a lady. She was basically 50 years old, just like me. <laughs> Telling a little joke. I, I greet the lady. She, she opens her bag, says, says, bless my baby. It's a dog. And they, I didn't have patience, and I scolded her. I said, ma'am, so many children are hungry, and you've got this little dog. I love that. Thank you. Papa Francesco, that is a beautiful thing to say. He's obviously right on the point here. It's too much. I don't, I don't mean to disparage people with dogs. I'm not totally a dog person or a cat person. I'm more of a people person. But I know people love their dogs. And it's good to love your dogs. But you've got to love your dogs in a way that is appropriate to a dog. That's a wonderful thing, I've been told. I'm not a big dog guy. But I, it, it can be perfectly fine to have a dog. It can be really quite lovely, actually. But if you love your dog in an inappropriate way, if you treat your dog like a child, that's not fine. That's bad for everybody. He's totally right on this point. He's right on the point of birth rates. I know so many people who they won't have children. They'll just adopt a dog or they'll buy a dog and then they'll treat the dog like a child. You got to have children. You got you to be fr- fruitful and multiply here. The, do- the, the child is going to give you a lot more joy in your life and probably a lot more grief. It's going to give you a whole lot more life than the dog ever will. But, but at a, at a broader political level here, consider not so much the dog and the dog moms. Consider Pope Francis here. This is great. We should applaud Pope Francis for making this really great point about family and the importance of life and the special place of human beings as different from the rest of the animals. We're living in a time and in a culture where the the leading intellectual public voices are saying that humans are really no different from any other animal. And here's Pope Francis, who many people consider to be fairly liberal. He's coming out and saying, no, people are unique. (laughs) And we're not the same as dogs, and we got to knock it off with treating the dogs like the babies. Okay. And we've got to applaud Pope Francis when he says things like this. You know, a lot of conservatives attack Pope Francis all the time. I, being a Catholic, I don't ever attack the Holy Father. And and when I am curious about certain things that Pope Francis says, being Catholic, we always phrase it in a very respectful way. We say, well, you know, Papa Francesco, I just have some questions about, just want to very politely and reverently raise some questions about some odd things that were reported that you perhaps said. But The only way forward in this culture is going to be two ways. The only way for conservatives to gain any ground in this culture is when we are up against the evil forces of this world, we need to subvert those forces. We've got to be clever and we've got to subvert the evil forces of this world. And when we're up against innocently mistaken forces, because not not all of the people who are opposing a conservative agenda are evil. Many of them are very, very good people, and they're just innocently mistaken sometimes. If we want to be charitable, if we want to give people the benefit of the doubt, if we see that Pope Francis was reported as having said something that seems a little bit out of line with the Christian tradition, we can give him the benefit of the doubt and say, well, maybe he was misinterpreted. Maybe Maybe he was mistaken. He's a man who, except on the rare occasions when the Pope is infallible, the Pope is fallible. Or, you know, when he's, when he's not speaking ex cathedra on matters of faith and morals, he, he can say things that are perfectly mistaken, and maybe he just made an innocent mistake. And so 
when we're talking to our friends, when we're talking to our colleagues, when we're talking to our family, they might seem like the biggest libs in the world, but let's say their heart's in the right place. They're just a little mistaken. I think the way to overcome that is with tact and grace and diplomacy. You say, oh, you're right. You're right about this point. You're right to think that it's a little weird that there are dogs in push carts and people are treating them like babies. Okay, well, what else does that imply? What does that imply about abortion? What does that imply about the family? What does that imply about the human person? What is, and you just kind of do it delicately with grace. I think you can win a lot of people over that way. Now, speaking of this kind of subversion, Elon Musk has picked a new CEO of Twitter. Remember some months ago, Elon said, should I step down as the CEO of Twitter? And he said, I'll abide by the results of this poll. They took a poll and said, you should step down. Okay, now he's stepping down. He's picked a new CEO. He's going to remain chairman of Twitter and he's going to remain the head of product. So this CEO is really just going to be dealing with business matters and specifically advertising. So he's hired this woman who doesn't seem totally perfect for the job. This would be Linda Yaccarino. She has close ties to the World Economic Forum. That's not great. She has endorsed content moderation. If you're a big pro-free speech person, that's not great. She worked at NBC Universal. She was the company's chair of global advertising and partnerships for more than a decade. She not only has an association with the World Economic Forum, she has chaired the Task Force on Future of Work. She sits on the Media, Entertainment, and Culture Industry Governor's Steering Committee. She's involved in the WEF. And so everyone's saying, Elon, you totally screwed us over. You sold us out. What's the matter with you? Why did I ever trust you at all? All I'm going to say is I'm going to take a breath here. I'm going to give it a minute. I'm going to give Elon a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because what option do we have? And I'm going to see how this thing plays out. It's kind of how I feel about every Trump scandal. For every second that Trump was president and even before and even afterward, There'd be a huge, shocking Trump scandal. You, I can't believe he did this. And I would say, okay, I'm going to wait 24 hours before I react to this because I want to see what actually happened. I want to see what this really means. That's how I feel here. Because what is Elon Musk thinking? The main thing I think Elon Musk is thinking is that Twitter is very likely to go bankrupt. He's come in and he's done a great job fixing the platform and we're all grateful for it. But Twitter is in a terrible financial situation and is very, very likely to go bankrupt in a year if, if the company doesn't turn around. So Elon needs someone at Twitter to turn around the financial fortunes of the company. How can he do that? Is he going to do that by appointing Trump, the new CEO of Twitter? Uh, no, I don't think that's going to bring in a lot of advertisers. I don't think that's going to bring in a lot of revenue. Is he going to do it by appointing some far right winger to do it? No. The problem is that the advertisers are fleeing. The problem is that investment is, is, investors are fairly shaky on Twitter right now. So this could be an example. I'm not saying it is. I don't want to seem like I'm an incurable optimist. But this could be an example of Elon Musk being wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove, which is something that conservatives really have to do if we're going to win in this culture. Don't forget, the devil is the prince of this world. We fight against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. We live in a very, very lib culture where the libs have virtually all of the power centers. I, th I guess every single one. And so if we're going to win, we've got to be a little clever sometimes, okay? We've got to be a little nuanced about how we do it. And so if, if what is going on here is that Elon is picking this very lib-seeming woman to be the public face as the head of Twitter, but then he's maintaining his role as chairman of the board 
and head of product. So he's actually running how the product functions. Great. And then that can attract money and investment back to Twitter, and then that can keep the platform going for more than a year. Great. That's a huge win. Maybe it's not that. Maybe Elon really is just totally selling out. Okay, that would be too bad. But as of now, Elon has proven a lot of his conservative bona fides and seems like he's got his head screwed on straight. And so I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's because I'm in a good mood because I just, I feel so vibrant and young and full, full of life and full of delicious meat from good ranchers. Right now, go to goodranchers.com, use promo code Knowles. Summer is just around the corner, which means grilling season has arrived. Like most Americans, you're probably not wild about spending half your annual salary buying meat at the grocery store, especially considering that 85% of it comes from overseas. Well, I've got good news for you. When you subscribe to Good Ranchers, you are not only going to get high quality, amazing meat at an excellent price, you will also get meat that comes from American farms and ranches. Inflation's on the rise. This is outrageous. Good Ranchers is locking in your price for two years. Imagine if you could have locked in your price two years ago, you'd be saving hundreds of dollars. You need to change the way that you buy meat. Now is the perfect time of year to do so. I just adore Good Ranchers meat. The company's great. The guys are great. The meat is the by far the highest quality meat I've ever had by subscription, by mail-in meat. It arrives beautifully. The, the burgers are great. The steaks are great. Chicken is great, too. I'm more of a red meat guy. GoodRanchers.com right now. Use my code Knowles for 30 bucks off any box. Good Ranchers. You can test, you can rest easy, rather, knowing that you're feeding your family with 100% American locally sourced meat delivered straight to your door. That is promo code Knowles at GoodRanchers.com for $30 off your order. GoodRanchers.com, promo code Knowles. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. You know, a popular 30-year-plus university professor was put on leave for the crime of passing out Jeremy's he, him, and she, her chocolate bars. He, He was put on leave for giving people chocolate. Well, Jeremy believes that every free American ought to have the right to hand out chocolate. And that is why Jeremy has taken his delicious he, him, and she, her chocolate bars. He's reduced them down to a tasty little microaggression size. Head on over to jeremyschocolate.com. You can get your microaggression size Jeremy's chocolate bars conveniently available for Halloween. Go to jeremyschocolate.com. Pre-order your delicious miniature microaggression sized chocolate bars today. Speaking of stopping bad guys, feel good story of the day, if not the year. 13-year-old boy saved his sister from being kidnapped with a slingshot. So there was an eight-year-old girl. She was playing out around her backyard. She was hunting for mushrooms when an older teenage male, 17-year-old guy, comes out of the woods and tries to kidnap her. He, he said, when the guy was apprehended later, he said he wanted to beat the girl. He was open about what he was trying to do. So this 13-year-old boy sees this happening, pulls out his slingshot, and just dings this guy right in the head. And then at that moment, the girl had the opportunity to run away. And then the 13-year-old got him again. And so the, the 17-year-old ran off. But the fact that he was pinged in the head with the rocks made it easier to apprehend him. And so he's now been arrested. Really, really great news. Uh, He's now been charged with kidnapping, child enticement, one count count of attempted assault to do great bodily harm, less than murder, one count of assault and battery. Okay, happy ending to the story. I bet everybody who hears that story is going to say, this is a really great, happy story. 
Thank goodness that little boy had his slingshot. He's like a regular old Bart Simpson. Boy, could you imagine it? If he hadn't had his slingshot, what would have happened to that girl? That we need to give all these young boys slingshots. I bet you 95% of people, at least, 99% of people who hear that story would come to that conclusion. Then some people would fail to follow the logic of that story to our Second Amendment rights. They would say, well, no, that's totally different. It's good to give young teenage boys slingshots, but it's bad for adults to be able to protect themselves from bad guys. But 17-year-old Mohawk kids coming out of the woods, those aren't the only bad guys. They're bad guys at every single age. And you're going to face more bad guys later on in your life for the bulk of your life when you're an adult than you will for the few years that you're a teenager. So how do you, how do you bring that home? It's a point on political rhetoric. The way that politicians succeed is when they make things really simple. If you want to defend the Second Amendment, get, bring this story in your back pocket. This is it. This is how Trump has been very successful. This is how Ronald Reagan was very successful. We don't need to give long discourses on natural rights and natural law and self-protection and the technical uh, details of how guns work. I'm all for that stuff. I find that terribly interesting. But when you're talking to the libs, this is what's going to do it. You say, goodness gracious, could you imagine what, happen- what would have happened to that eight-year-old girl had that boy not had a slingshot? Yeah. That's the same thing's true for 25-year-olds, though. And when you're 25, the bad guys, they're not just carrying rocks and sticks. They've got knives and guns, too. And so the same principle is in effect there. Wouldn't it be terrible if the bad guys got to kidnap people, beat people up, do even worse to people? That's it. You keep, it very, you keep things very, very simple. Was that, wasn't that a line from James Carville, keep it simple, stupid? Now, speaking of our political order, turning to 2024, things are heating up, baby. And they're getting pretty interesting. Ron DeSantis just held a big rally in Iowa. And then he stopped off at a few places after the rally, shake some hands, meet people, probably kiss some babies. Hours after speaking in Cedar Rapids, Governor DeSantis made an unscheduled stop in Des Moines. And he went to a barbecue restaurant, shook some hands. Where was President Trump? President Trump was not there. Uh, President Trump said that there was a weather incident that was likely to take place. And so he, uh, he was at the airport, he said, in Palm Beach. But he said, okay, it looks like there's severe weather here. So I'm going to stay in Palm Beach. We're going to have to cancel the rally. But see you guys soon in Iowa. Then the DeSantis stands accused Trump of canceling the rally, not because of the weather, but because he felt that he wouldn't be able to fill the stadium in the same way that DeSantis was able to. But DeSantis is saying, or Trump rather is saying, look, you can look at the map. It looked like there was severe weather here, but then the weather was okay. All right, fine. What does this mean? This means that DeSantis is staking his campaign and his campaign's ability to turn around the momentum, which right now is totally in Trump's favor. He's staking it on Iowa because those Iowa caucuses are going to be the first up. And if, if DeSantis can score a win in Iowa, then maybe he's got some momentum going into New Hampshire. Maybe he's got some momentum going into places like South Carolina and Florida. Maybe he could turn this thing around. DeSantis just scored a couple endorsements from top Iowa leaders. We've got Amy Sinclair as the Senate president there and uh, Matt Winschittle, who's the House Majority Leader. He is, he is clearly targeting Iowa. Okay. Now, 
Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Right now, Trump is way up in Iowa, but the Iowa caucuses can be won by tens of thousands of votes. The, the, the Iowa caucuses in, in 2016, it was, it was Ted Cruz who won them. Cruz won Iowa with 51,666 votes. This is a very, very small number. Congressional elections are, are decided by more votes than this, by many more votes in some cases. So getting on the ground, shaking hands can do quite a lot. That said, though, right now the numbers, this is according to National Research Incorporated and American Greatness, Trump's at 44, DeSantis 26, Haley at 6, Pence at 4, Ramaswamy at 3, Asa Hutchinson is turning up. That's interesting, 1%. Tim's got 1%. Chris Sununu at 0%. That's, that's rough. So this, uh, Trump, rather, is up by 18 points in Iowa, which means this is still Trump's race to lose. DeSantis might be able to pull it out. Iowa's a weird place. Being on the ground there shaking hands can do a lot. Even if DeSantis wins there, it might not be enough to turn around the momentum in the race, as you saw with Senator Cruz back in 2016. But as of today, this remains Trump's race to lose. Now, how about our current rulers? I mentioned last week, Dianne Feinstein is back in the Senate and she looks very, very frail. She just recovered from shingles. She's in a wheelchair. There was a, a, an anecdote that came out that she passed by Senator Tim Scott in the hallway of the Senate and said, oh, Senator, I'm so glad to have you here. We were really pulling for you. And this would be strange because Tim Scott is a Republican. And people seem to think that she just got him confused with the other black senator, that would be Raphael Warnock, who's a socialist and a far left-wing Democrat. And according to the reporting of this anecdote, Senator Scott was very gracious about it and said, oh, thank you, Senator. Your support means so much. Thank you very much. And this has all been taken as evidence that Dianne Feinstein needs to resign right now. No. No, I've said before, I'm very pro keeping Feinstein in the Senate. I want her to stay there now. I want her to seek and win re-election. I want her there for a few more terms, actually. I'd say 18 to 25, I guess it would be six-year terms, so 18 to 24 more years at least. What, What is she not doing that she's supposed to be doing as a senator? Senators have very little real power right now. Much of what they do is run by the staff. Much of the operation of the Senate is run by the majority leader and the minority leader anyway. And furthermore, for people who say, we need age limits, not just in the Senate, but on all all our politicians, but especially the Senate, we need age limits. These people are too old. We don't need all these old people in the Senate. Do you know what the word Senate means? The word Senate comes from the Latin word senex, which means old man. The Senate is a place that is specifically meant for very old people. That's what's for. I know that young people sometimes run for the Senate. It's usually because they have presidential ambitions or they want to get into an administration. But the Senate traditionally is understood as a place for old people. Who cares that she's old? Doesn't really affect anything. The Senate, especially today, largely exists to do nothing. And so if we can have a marginally more right-wing senator, fine by me. Speaking of women, of a certain age. Cleopatra. Netflix has this show on Cleopatra. 
They've cast a black woman to play Cleopatra. This is very strange because Cleopatra was not black. The conservatives pointed this out. They said, it's a little bit weird. You know, you wouldn't cast a white guy to play Malcolm X. Uh, So why are we casting a black lady to play Cleopatra? And the libs have doubled down. So now the New York Times has come out with the strongest defense of black Cleopatra. They've defended this casting decision by saying that Cleopatra was, quote, culturally black. Uh, Cleopatra, they, they say, quote, in contemporary American pop culture, the assertion is often stated as fact with her characterized as a beautiful and powerful black African queen, her name commonly referred to as such in hip hop. So she's culturally black. Even if she wasn't culturally black back in her ancient days, today in American culture, that is how she is understood to be. And so we're going to cast her as black. That's fine. Cleopatra racially was white. Cleopatra culturally was white. I'm not sure that those terms necessarily totally correspond to antiquity, but in as much as they do, she was a Mediterranean ruler who spoke Greek, who, if you had to say, is she black or is she white? She was definitely white. Cleopatra had absolutely nothing in common with what we would today call black culture. All this is, is an expression of our popular culture's animus today toward white people and anything that can be associated with white people. That's all it is. Mentioned earlier that in politics, usually you can keep things pretty simple. This is a pretty simple one. The culture just hates white people. (laughs) In our law, the only racial group, along with the Asians a little bit, that you can legally discriminate against is white people. And here's where the white people and the Asians diverge. Culturally speaking, the only group that it is acceptable to insult is white people. It's actually encouraged in our culture to insult white people. That's all this is about. That's it. They're not defending this as a matter of colorblind casting, which would be insane for a documentary or a docudrama, right? I'm fine with uh, Denzel Washington playing Macbeth because the, the race of Macbeth isn't really all that important. And we've had all sorts of versions of Shakespeare's plays. And Denzel Washington is one of the greatest actors of his generation. And so it was a, it was a great movie. But if there were a biopic on George Washington, that would be strange for Denzel to play that character. And certainly you would never see it go in the other direction. All this is about is our culture disliking white people. And you're seeing this expressed not just at the level of the bureaucracy and the law. You're seeing this not just expressed out of Hollywood or out of the academy. You're seeing this expressed at the very highest levels of politics. Joe Biden goes to Howard University, an historically black college, and he gives a speech on the greatest threat to America. What's the greatest threat? You, you guessed it, white people. Now, my favorite comment on Friday is from Busy Mouse Animations, who says, we now live in a culture where Batman would be arrested and thrown in jail. That's very true, though it's important to note, Batman would always be arrested and thrown in jail. That's the point of the story. 
The point of the story is that Gotham, New York City, has, has gotten so bad that the government, the politicians have screwed up so much, they're so corrupt, they're so feckless, that you need, at that point, a vigilante to come in and restore order. But vigilantes are not protected by the law. They're outside of the civil authority. And so they're always on the wrong side of things. And they might be necessary at certain points to protect the innocent, but they could always be thrown in jail. They're vigilantes. And so what's so sad in New York is that if the politicians did their jobs, if the politicians allowed the cops to do their jobs, then you wouldn't need a U.S. Marine to take down a violent criminal who'd been arrested 44 times, including for assault, who had a warrant out for his arrest already when he was there threatening people in the subway car, saying, I'm going to hurt people in this car. I'm ready to die. And then this Marine protects people heroically. You wouldn't need that because the guy would be taken down by the guys in blue. But because they're not allowed to do their jobs, then the Marine has to come in and the and Batman Marine, Sergeant Marine, I don't know what his rank was, he, he comes in and now he's being prosecuted. That's a, another one of the, the real tragedies that a lot of people don't predict about the breakdown of order. Just like the 17-year-old teenage boy migrant who dies in Joe Biden's custody is one of those unforeseen, uh, a lot of us could predict it, but the, the people who are opening the border, they say, oh, well, I, who could have known that this would lead to migrants dying in custody? When you commit sins, when you permit crime, when you allow order to unravel and chaos to flourish, you're going to see lots of these, these downstream effects of that that are awful. One of which is, in our culture, that we're going to prosecute the vigilante heroes who are stepping up because the political order won't protect citizens. The greatest threat to America right now, is it World War III, which we're on the brink of because Joe Biden invited a Russian invasion of Ukraine? Is it the completely open border, huge national security threat, and, and even more broadly, a threat to our political system? 10,000 people a day coming across? No, it's not that. Is it, it's not even the sun monster, which Biden tells us to worry about. No, no. It's white people. Stand up against the poison of white supremacy, as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. And I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say it wherever I go. There's a mic screech even at the, <laughs> at the end there. Even the microphone knows that Joe Biden is, is making this up, that it's completely ridiculous. The most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. And I'm not just saying this because I'm obviously pandering to you at a historically black college. No, no. I say it wherever I go. Nobody really believes this. A lot of people say this because it helps to advance a political agenda, but nobody really behaves this way. Nobody really behaves as though white people are the greatest threat. Nobody is avoiding moving into white neighborhoods. Nobody is avoiding going to white places. I, I often th think about this in relation to the so-called campus rape epidemic. You've probably heard this number, that during their time in college, one in five, or by the time they graduate, one in five, or even one in four women will have been raped. You say, well, that's a shocking number. If that were true, by golly, we, we have to get 
all of the forces of America, all the resources possible to stop this. But it's obviously not true. If that number were true, then Harvard Yard would be more dangerous to young women than the back alleys of Botswana. Nobody seriously believes that. If you really believed that that your daughter had a one in five or one in four chance of being raped by going to Princeton, you would never send your daughter to college. You would be insane. You would be criminally negligent, as far as I'm concerned, to send your daughter to college if she had a 20 or 25% chance of being raped. No one really believes that. People say that because it advances a feminist political agenda, but no one seriously believes it. And the same thing here. Calling white supremacy the greatest threat to America is politically useful to some people, but nobody really believes it. If so, nobody would be moving to the posh suburbs of New York or Chicago or Los Angeles or anywhere else. They'd say, no, there's too many white people around here. Goodness gracious, they're the biggest terrorist threat of all. And Joe Biden saying this shows us that he is immune to facts. The man is immune to the truth, as he has been. Joe Biden is a true cynic in that it's not that he always prefers falsehood to the truth. It's that he just doesn't care. It's the line from Pontius Pilate when he's confronting Christ and he says, what is truth? What is truth? Who cares? That's Biden. And that's the people who who repeat this nonsense. Now, the AP might disagree with Joe Biden on the greatest threat in America because according to the libs, one of the tippy-top threats is not just white people, but parents. According to the Associated Press, this, this might be my favorite headline I've ever seen. Trans minors protected from parents under Washington law. The AP, especially in recent years, has become a far left-wing news outlet. Much worse than Reuters. The AP is supposed to cut it right down the middle, and then the newspapers can add their own spin to it. But the AP in recent years has become so radically left-wing. The AP has its own style book, which is supposed to set the, the norms for journalism, for all sorts of other papers. They have become radically pro-left-wing, radically pro-trans in recent years. And you see this headline, trans minors protected from parents under Washington law. Now, this raises two questions. Protected from what? By whom? If the AP, if they were good journalists, they would tell you, but they don't. Protected from what? By whom? Well, they're being protected from their biological reality. They're being protected from the traditional understanding of what a man is and what a woman is. They're being protected from the truth. They're being protected from behaviors that will allow them to flourish. They're being protected from normative behaviors that will uh, very likely allay the mental and spiritual problems they're suffering from. And who are they being protected by? They're being protected by people who, I'll put it as gently as I can, don't have all their marbles, okay? They're being protected from those evil, awful parents by people who are seriously messed up. They're being protected by people like this uh, putative young woman, uh, looks a little masculine to me, who just appeared 
at a board of supervisors meeting in San Francisco and was frankly one of the most articulate defenders of transgenderism I've ever heard. F- Walgreens, f- armed security, and f- the guard that lynched them. F- Crook Jen, f- DA Jenkins, f- London Breed, f- Stephanie, f- Copagandist Torsi, f- Mandelman, f- Safai, f- Mussolini Guardio, f- Staff PD, f- Chief Scott, f- DPW, f- Homeless Sweeps, f- Gage Talk, f- Coordinated Entry, and f- Drama Scoring. F- to those who recall Chase Boudin, f- school board recallers, f- sit lie, f- shelter first, f- Josephine Zhao and her stance, f- Trump Republicans and f- Richie Greenberg, f- John Dennis, f- Alex Stein, f- Twitter trolls and f- drug warriors and f- the lying press, f- suit Heather White Knight, f- Jill Tucker Carlson, f- Susan Cryer Reynolds. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That really, that's something I'm just taking notes so that I don't forget any of those important arguments. And by the way, that's as strong an argument for transgenderism as I have ever heard. Don't forget, I was scheduled to debate <laughs> perhaps the most erudite, trans-identifying defender of transgenderism in the entire country. A man with three Harvard degrees, a man with half a dozen honorary doctorates, a man with two dozen academic publications. He knew my views on transgenderism. We had spoken beforehand. He knew exactly what to expect from my side of the debate, the kind of arguments that I was going to make. And so at the last minute, he pulled out. Why? Because nobody can defend this stuff. Washington law now will protect trans minors. You know that totally real category of people, trans minors, from their parents. What is that? They're going to protect kids from their parents. They're they're going to say that guy who appeared at the San Francisco Board of Supervisors meeting, he should have much more influence over a confused child than his awful evil parents are. That's that's the neutral middle ground in our culture. That's it. We're going to have to be rather subversive and wise as serpent and innocent as doves to overcome that. Today is Music Monday, baby, and we've got a very special song today. I've been told that Producer Danny considers this musical artist something of a muse, and so I'm very excited. I don't know anything about the person. This is Ethel Kane. The only ether I ever think think of is Ethel Mertz. Uh, So that's the image in my head right now. We'll see if the music matches up with that. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.